Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. If you, uh, if you brought your Bibles, would you flip open to Acts chapter 15 with me this morning, Acts chapter 15. And we are going to take on most of this chapter, but uh, hey, we'll, we'll break it up today and, and kind of have fun together. While studying for uh, this chapter, uh, a lot of thoughts just came into my mind, and the biggest overarching thing is this, is when starting a, uh, well, for these guys, when starting kind of a new way of looking at things, how do you continue to have unity? And the whole entire chapter, actually the whole entire book of Acts is founded on one foundational scripture found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and this is what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The whole point of Acts is to be witnesses. And so if that's the case of looking at unity, I think this chapter brings us in going, in, in looking at the unity of the church is our witness. In fact, we'll just jump to the main point of today's sermon, and it is this, is that our witness will show through the unity of our church. That our witness will show through the unity of our church. Churches have split, I mean, year, over years and years, churches have split over carpet color of the style of worship. Right? We even talked about the hymnal. I remember when the hymnal became a uh, Maranatha songbook, right? And so you had the hymnal and the chorus book. And then it went from there into let's do this little, uh, let's do this uh, overhead projector thing, right? And so you'd have some little kid like trying to get that squared up on the overhead projector and it'll be all wonky and you'd have to read like this to sing the song. And then it went from there to a projector. And then pretty soon you brought in these screens and all that sort of stuff. To even song, to even the, the types of songs we sing. Do we have an organ in our church? Is a piano okay? I mean, it used to be that in old, old days, man, don't bring an instrument into the church. To, wait a second, now we're bringing guitars and a drum set? Oh my goodness, I am gone. How about this, to uh, churches are being split over building plans, No, I like this plan better than that plan. No, we shouldn't do this. I'm not going there anymore. If we're going to strap ourselves to this and and then they leave. How about pastoral indiscretions? Churches split over those all the time. How about fights for power? One person wants to have power over the other people to be able to say where the church is going. And churches split and have fallout all over the place. And just personal opinions. I think we should do this over that. And so somebody has such strong belief systems about that, that churches just split and say, we're done. I'd have to say that if there was a church that split 
It's almost as if you also split a town sometimes. You're asking one person to choose over the other, and it shouldn't be about choosing personal preferences or about worship or the floor color. It should be choosing about do we follow Jesus or not. You see, actually, I don't know if you knew this, but where I'm standing right now was one of four options in this room back in 2007 when we built this place. We had a meeting right up here in the front, and I remember sitting with Jay and going, oh my goodness, this could be a very interesting conversation. Because we had some people who had some very big thoughts about where this right here should be. There were three options on the table. There was on that wall right there, okay? There was on that wall right there, or it was right here. And you know what we decided on is we wanted to make it really easy for people to walk into church to not feel like they were interrupting anything or that they were going, oh my goodness, I can't, I can't do this, I'm coming in right away because that was always going to be the door you came in. And so if the stage was there, if a person walked in there, guess what? You would see them and you would go, oh, those runners, they're late for church again, Right? And then somebody would have to go talk to them, or they would just walk out and go, hey, it's already started. But the whole idea was is, hey, let's get back to what are we really trying to accomplish here. We're really trying to accomplish the best way to help people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when, they all, when we all had that in the exact same idea, we decided this is the best way. Because we want people to come to Jesus more than we want our stage to be in the right area that we want. There was another conversation I, I don't know if you knew about, but uh, there was, there's a whole gym on this other side right here. And the gym was going to be big. We wanted it to be full court. And so we brought somebody in and they said, hey, if you want a wood floor, it's going to cost you $180,000. And we all looked at each other going, there is no way that we are going to put a $180,000 gym floor. Well, first of all, we're not going to strap ourselves to that money. And second of all, we just, we, we just can't do that. That is not being wise stewards. But... We started praying, going, God, what do you want us to use this gym floor for? And it became that we wanted our gym floor to be used by the community so that the community could have ease coming into the church and that they could have games in which were good games, full court. We wanted everybody to use it, and we wanted them to know that, hey, we care about you. We want to give you what is, could be the nicest floor for you to be able to come in. But we knew it wasn't $180,000, and so um, there was this floor that we looked at that like locks together and just floats on the floor, right? It was all plastic, right? And then like sometimes you could just pick up one piece and move it, and I was, I remember being like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, right? Like I said that, that's dumb. Plastic floor, like come on. And then I remember growing up in a church that had a carpet floor in their gym, Talk about the funnest rug burns you've ever had, right? It was unbelievable. And then it came, hey, what if we roll out this, what if we had this like rubber that you could buy that you just roll out and then you kind of glue it down and hey, that's okay too, but we were just like, mm, that's pretty expensive too. And so we were just like, God, we know that you've called our church to be 
a church on the hill in which is a beacon to say, we care about our community, we want you to know about Jesus, and we want to put our best step forward. So God, what do we do? And so we had a whole bunch of people start praying about it. And lo and behold, a week and a half later, we've got a person that comes up to us and says, hey, I've been thinking about you a lot. This gym floor is going to come up on auction. Would you guys like to, would you guys like to get on this and try to purchase this floor? And so what do we do? Day comes and Richard and I and Mike Gutenberg are sitting in his office up at Zerby Brothers. And I mean, this was back in the day where it was kind of dial-up internet, if you, if you will, right? I mean, it wasn't like the fast speed internet we have now. And so we're sitting there and you click your bid and then you just, uh, we talk for like five minutes and then we wait for the next bid to pop up because this was way before eBay too, which wasn't just instantaneous, like I want this now, right? So we're sitting there and we, we keep talking and you keep watching this price go up and we have this like, God, you've told us this is where we want to be. And then eventually uh, just keeps going up and we're just like, we just need to pray. Let's, let's just pray. And so... Uh, we start praying and we go, God, once again, God, this is what we want. We want you to be glorified for this. We don't, it's not because we think this is the nicest gym floor and we're going to be the envy of town. It wasn't because we were uh, thinking, yes, this is going to make us be awesome. Not, none of that stuff. It's God, would your glory shine through this building? And the rest is history. Because we got the floor and we bought it. But that's something in which, once again, you're looking at those things and you go, that could have split a church. I mean, we, we laugh at that a little bit and go, really? Over a gym floor? Yeah, really. Over a gym floor. You see, I come, came across this as I was just looking at this going, selfishness really is what it's about, is our own opinion and our own desires to be selfish is our sin that separates us from God and the people within the church. When we get, make up our mindset that this is the way we're going to do it, it is our selfishness that separates us from God and people. And I would have to say this, that we are all good-willed people. Every one of you in this room is a good-willed person. You did not wake up today going, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to destroy my relationships with people inside the church. None of you woke up like that. But sometimes we allow some of our selfishness to get in the way to allow us to make a stand that says, no, this is the way it needs to be. And through this scripture today, I think that we get to be able to see, wait a second, Maybe it's not about my selfish stand. Maybe it's about fighting for the right things. Maybe it's about really talking about what really matters because I don't want to get our witness to our community being lost in translation because I want to have the right opinions. And so today, this is what this is all about is talking about our witness as a church, as a collective whole together comes by showing the unity of our church together. You see, we see in this story that uh, tons of people start going, wait a second, we've been talking about grace and how Jesus Christ offers it to you, but then we're just adding grace plus. Okay, now that you've accepted Jesus, now you have to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, right? To be able to be in good standings with God. 
And that's not what this was all about. In fact, actually, I would say this sermon is a culmination of our last two sermons together. The first one was about grace, the grace offered to us through the death of Jesus Christ, uh, through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then it, we looked at last week about what do we do in hardship times? How do, we, how do we get through that? And I think today is the culmination of going, wait a second, we're not going to put burdens on people. For the longest time in the church world, this was how you allowed people to come into your church to show unity. The first thing is we used to tell people, hey, you have to believe what our church believes. Then you have to behave and do the things that we are telling you to do, and then you can belong to us. Then you can be a part of our church. If you've believed what we believe, if you start behaving and acting like we behave, then you can belong. And I think that this scripture changes it on its head, and it says this. No, you, you do belong. You are welcome here. You are welcome to search out Christ. You are welcome to find the answer because this is the answer. Christ is the answer. We have the answer for whatever ails you. And then as you are a part of us, you can start to see our belief system and you can start taking on the character of Christ. And as you take on the character of Christ because you're believing in his message, you will automatically behave. And I'm not saying that that's our ultimate goal either, but as a church, as we are witnessing together and showing the unity of us, we're not going to be separated by, um, by people trying to have power over one another, but we are going to be unified. As we are unified, we allow people to walk in and, and check things out, and they're allowed to be sitting here and belong in this building. And they start to believe what we are preaching. And then they do change their attitudes. And I hate the word behave, but that is kind of what it is. They start taking on the character of Christ and becoming like Christ. And that's the whole goal of a church that's unified. And so before we jump into scripture today, let's pray. God, I thank you for this church family. I thank you that we can walk through life and see how you are changing our hearts. And God, I know that there's lots of different ideas of how church should go and be, but Lord, we want to be unified through you as a church family. And God, as people walk through our doors, as people see us out in the community, as, this, as those of us who call this place their home, may they see the unity and the love that we have for one another and for our church and for where you are leading us to be the witnesses in Glasgow, in Valley County, into Montana, and to the outer ends of the earth. And so God, would you teach us today through your word? In your name we pray, amen. And so I want to just walk through this story with you, and so we're going to take it verse by verse and maybe a little bit of chunks of sections, and then I'm going to kind of dissect it with you this morning. And so we're going to start with verse 1, and we'll, we're going to read verses 1 through 3, and this is what it says. 
While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to, and to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. By the way, can I just tell you that you guys should be really thankful that with all these kids in here, I'm going to take on this topic. I'm just joking. All right, moving on. <laughs> uh, this, when I read that, I was like, oh man, here we go. I want to I want to skip this chapter, but I'm not going to. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted Right away, we see a problem. Right away, we've just gotten done with watching Paul and Barnabas travel all around, really, their world and preaching Jesus Christ. And over and over again, they are watching these Gentiles come to a relationship with Jesus. They are being saved. They are being filled with the Holy Spirit and not maybe, I don't know how long this is, but not very long after Paul and Barnabas get back from their journey, there are people who come up from Judea to say, hey, if you really want to be a part of us, you've got to do this. You've got to become circumcised. You've got to look like us because guess what? God has told us for a long time that this is what we're supposed to do if we're going to follow him. Really, this is about the law. And really, also, these people that are going to Antioch are Pharisees and Sadducees that have been converted to Christianity. And so they are trying to meld their two worlds together. They're trying to understand, wait a second, I understand grace because God gives it freely to us and I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve God's blessing in my life. But yet, my whole entire life has been based on, I've got to do all the right things, say all the right things, sacrifice the right things, do, 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 do. But how do I prove that I'm really following God? And so these Pharisees really are coming up and going, if you're truly converted and want to belong to us, you have to do this. I'm going to tell you that if you have ever heard anyone say you must do things above believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ to be saved, they were wrong. The grace that's offered to us is absolutely free from Jesus Christ. But see, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember growing up in church, a dress code. Right? You have to dress like this because then maybe God, then you're not showing how much you absolutely love God. In fact, actually, I came across somebody uh, probably a couple months ago that said, I, I don't know if I can go to your church because I don't have the nicest of clothes. Why is that still going on in people's heads? Without knowing the background or circumstances or the heart, we just place things on people and say, nope, if you're going to be serious about God, you have to do this without having a relationship with that person. 
I remember one of the rules in my church growing up was there is absolutely no running in the house of God. And for a child who is ADD, that was incredibly hard for me, right? Incredibly hard for me. I remember my pastor's wife in the Nazarene church that I grew up in in Billings just like looking at me like, you, my gosh, you just ran in the house of God. And I thought to myself, Jesus made me fast. <laughs> I'm just joking. I was really slow. But Jesus made me fast. Why can't I run? But I bet you I can understand exactly why that, why that came up in church. Because guess what? Children are oblivious when they're having fun, right? And so when some adult is standing there with somebody and you get these children that are just gregarious and having fun and running by and being super loud, I'm sure one person said, we want to talk about Jesus here. And so since we want to talk about Jesus and you kids are interrupting us, there's no running in church, right? Probably some rule in which they go, well, wait a second. Maybe we need to understand how God created kids. Because kids do need to understand the idea of being, of seeing what's around them. Children do need to understand, wait a second, maybe I am being a little bit noisy for people and I need to, but that, that's on us as a church to teach them to get down to their level and saying, hey, I mean, you're being really loud. Could you help us out? We have a whole gym that you can go play in if you want. I say that a lot. How about this is we believe that people should have the same standard of living as us. If you are going to follow God, then guess what? You have to be up to our standard of living. How many of you guys have ever heard this before? If you are Christian, then that means you're Republican. As if Christianity, uh, never mind, I'm not getting there. <laughs> Don't even get me started. And I, yeah. If you are Christian, then that means that you automatically have to lift yourself up and, yeah, I, can we begin to love people right where they're at? Not to change political viewpoints or to, let, let Jesus do that if that needs to happen. Or change the way they spend money or look at money or all those things. But maybe be able to say, hey, have you thought about this differently? Because we do need to encourage one another. But not through our own opinions, but through what the Bible says about things. The Bible has lots of things on standard of living. But I'm not going to do it just because it's my own way. Personal tastes right? Hey, you have to do this if, if you're going to be a Christian. I, I honestly heard a person tell me once that if you cannot believe in X, Y, and Z in the Bible, then you can't be a Christian. I said, what does that have to do with believing in Jesus Christ? About musical preferences. I'm going to tell you that this is something that still is hugely dividing churches, I remember sitting down with my grandma one time, and my grandma uh, died last year, but she was 105 years old. I sat down with her, oh, it was probably two years ago, and I went up to her, and I said, I said, Grandma, do you, 
do you like the music that we sing in church? And she said, absolutely not. I don't like the music we sing in church. It's too loud. I just don't understand the words you guys sing. As if, I, as if, I, as if we were playing rap music here, right? Like, you know, but, but she said, but I love the music at our church. I said, why is that, Grandma? And she says, because it's not about me. It's about how people are attaching themselves to God. And if that's what it's going to take then that's what I want to hear in our church. And at the same time, she says to me, but, but we can't forget where we've been. We can't forget what God has brought us through in years and years. Some of the greatest theologians of our times would say, would look at us and go, I can't believe that you have a piano in your church. Can you believe that? Some of the greatest theologians of people that we listen to, that we read still today, would go, there is no place for a piano in our church. And there are some of you in here that have never known a piano not being in our church. Isn't that unbelievable? How things keep on progressing, but the one thing that is completely constant is wanting to live the gospel out as much as we can and reading scripture and going, God, where are you leading our church? And so there could be people who come and accuse us of, hey, you're not doing these things in your church. Or wait a second, you have to do these things in your church. I'm going to tell you that the acceptance of the gospel is turning from our sins and following Christ's example. That's it. It's not a turn to Christ and do blah, 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 blah. All these things, no. We want to follow God. And we want to turn from our sins and continue to live in Christ's example. And so it goes on to say the, the church then in Antioch goes, well, then how are, we going to, how are we going to keep on allowing the Gentiles to accept Jesus Christ? And so they decide, well, we're going to send Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem. And in verses 4 and 5, we see that when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles. And let me just tell you that the whole entire way that Paul and Barnabas are traveling to Jerusalem, they are continuing to preach the gospel. This is something that's beautiful. They don't, they don't go, we are going to get into Jerusalem right now and we are going to make them pay for what they're telling us to do. No, they are still grace-filled people walking along saying, we want to continually do what we've been doing for the last how many years? We want to show people Jesus Christ. They simply preach about the goodness of God. And so when they get to Jerusalem, what are they doing? They reported everything that God had done through them. They're still preaching about the goodness of God. And as they do, some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted that Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Now we're putting stipulation on things. You've heard me say this over and over again. I, I still remember all those stipulations. You, you can't dance in church. You can't run in church. You can't do these things in church and those things. It just still, just still just hopping things on. That word must really gets to me. Even after hearing all of the great things that the Holy Spirit has gone through, uh, gone and done through these people, 
even after Paul and Barnabas, these amazing men who happen to also be Jews, by the way, who are circumcised, are walking going, no, you should see how good God is. I mean, you guys could walk around in this room and just go, wow. You could ask each other questions and see how good God is. I only told you two stories about the building of this place. I, you can even go into other people about, hey, what is God doing in your life? And you can see that. But some of you might go, mm, I don't like how, the, how you're doing that. I don't like how you're approaching doing that. But didn't you just hear about the goodness of God? And so what happens in the following things is the apostles and the elders in verse 6, they meet together to resolve this issue. They don't just separate sides and go, nope, since you don't believe like us and we are going to create our own something going on, so forget you and we're going to do our own thing. No, they say we've got to resolve this issue. This is important. I think about some of the fights in, in churches a little bit, and I know I keep coming back to this, but I'm going to focus this right now on, on musical preference. I just, I don't know why God wants me to say this, but like, instead of fighting over musical preference, why don't we fight over about the theology that's spoken in those songs? Are we making sure that those songs that we are singing are completely bringing us back to Jesus Christ or complete heresy? Instead of fighting over how we do something, what if, it's, what if it's about, hey, is it leading people to Jesus Christ? Is it theologically sound? And this is what I love about these people. Because at the meeting, after long discussions, Peter stood and addressed them as followers. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. That's the whole point of what God has called these apostles to do, okay? And Peter says, I was the first and foremost, and here it is, that we would preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news and believe. In everything that we do, are we coming back to the baseline of we want people to hear the good news? Are our conversations peppered with good news? Are the things that are coming out of this church speaking to the good news of Jesus Christ? Is the music we sing good news to people's ears? Are, are the games that we're allowing here uh, felt loved when we, say, when we do those things? Are the, are, is the counseling that people come into our church to receive from me filled with good news? God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepted the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he said as he did to us he already accepts them he's already shown that he accepts them they are filled with the Holy Spirit he's showing them what they've got and now why can't we see that the good news has come to them and so he God made no distinction between us and them for he cleansed their hearts through faith so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers? I love that phrase, burdening the Gentile believers. We talked about that last week. Are we helping people who are going through hardship to see and respond through 
the Holy Spirit, through reading scripture together, by worship, by seeking wise counsel with one another, or do we just keep on heaping hardship on other people? With a yoke, neither, neither, neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. I love that idea. They come to this conclusion that Paul does, or that, I'm sorry, Peter does. He's saying, you're heaping something on them that you yourself can't even follow, that you couldn't bear. You guys tried to live the law, and guess what? You stunk at it. And so why are you making them try to? Because they haven't grown up in any of this stuff. So we believe that, that we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of, of the Lord Jesus. I love in Galatians 3, 23 through 25, it says this. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Isn't that cool? And in, in, this, in this idea is this, is that there was, I mean, if you get this picture, that there was somebody standing in front of the way to be able to get to heaven going, you shall not pass until you do this, 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 and this, and this. You can't get in until you have done all of these things. There was a law that said, you can't get past into heaven until you finish this. And he's saying, wait a second, there is going to be a way that's called faith through Jesus Christ. In another verse, we see in Romans, 11, Romans 3, 11 through 20, and it says this, no one is truly wise, no one is seeking God, all have turned, that's not the verse, Sorry. I'm like, wow, I said the wrong verse to you, didn't I? Romans 3, 19 through 20. Sorry, I'm going to, hey, that's why we have Bibles. Romans 3, 19 and 20 says this. I'm, I'm sorry, guys, because it was my handwriting that you had to read. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. I love that. For no one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. So when we heap on things to people by saying you have to do X, Y, and Z for God to be happy with you, that's not the way to salvation. The way to salvation, once again, was what we talked about, is by grace alone, through Christ dying on the cross, and having faith in Him, and turning towards His ways. And so it gets super quiet after Peter talks, and then Paul and Barnabas stop up once again and talk about all the miraculous signs and wonders, and what happened, and people are like, yes, we agree with this. We understand. We're not going to make people have to do this anymore. 
And then James, this is interesting, then James stands up, and this is James, the brother of Jesus. And I'm not going to read this part, but uh, he steps up and he says, we agree with this. And he reads from Amos 11 through 12, and, and sorry, he actually quotes Amos 11, oh, I cannot speak, quotes Amos 9, 11, and 12. And pretty much what he said is, hey, the prophets from old said that there would be us and then the Gentiles outside of us pushing us to live the gospel. And so he stands up and he says, I think that there's three good things that come out of this. And if you're taking notes with me, here's the three things that the church in Acts responds to in saying, all right, great. It is no longer about doing something. Not about making them do something to have their faith. This is what we're going to encourage people is one, is this. Hey, how about we stay away from anything that has to do with idols? Which is, which I love is going back to the very first command. Love God and have no other gods before you. He's encouraging them over and over again. Just, hey, stay away from things that have anything to do with idols. Get back to following God and God only. This was another one, and uh, his second one he says is, hey, avoid fornication. Just avoid being promiscuous. And the reason why he says this is specifically for Antioch, right? We already talked about this, that Antioch is the Las Vegas of the day. Which goes right back to being, hey, follow God only. Don't let this be your idol. And this last one is, do not partake in meat that has been strangled or has blood in it. Now, you guys heard me and you're going, wait a second. Isn't this about not doing something? Yes, you're absolutely correct. But this is what I love because it is found in verse 21. For the law of Moses have been preached in Jew, Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. And what he's getting at here is this, is all the Gentiles have already heard this before. And what we want to do is we want to keep unity in the church. And so if you know that this is going to cause somebody else to stumble, would you, would you just not partake in it? He's trying to bring the church together and be unified and said, hey, would you do this? And the rest of the story goes that they took these and the church in Antioch loved it. The church in Antioch ended up praising God at the very end and saying, God, you are absolutely amazing and we love following you. But so how does those three things that unify the church apply to us today? And I think it leaves us with two complementary principles under grace that is for us as a church to be unified. And the first one is this. Out of these three that James stood up to say is we are not to make non-biblical requirements of others. And I'm stealing these from Kent Hughes, by the way. Um, Got to give credit where credit is due. We are not to make non-biblical requirements of others. You see, the, the whole point of these people coming to 
uh, the whole point of uh, these Pharisees who have turned uh, believers is to make them do something that really wasn't biblical. We had already learned that the grace fulfilled the law. But we're not going to make non-biblical requirements of others to come to belief. And the second thing for grace-filled living as a church is unified is that we gladly restrict our freedom for the sake of others. We gladly restrict our freedom for the sake of others. And that only means this, is that when we are looking at other people, we might know that it's okay for us to partake in, but we're not going to do it because it might make them stumble. Or vice versa, right? We, we are not going to, we're not going to heap things on to other people to make it required. Which really, I'm just going to tell you, makes me think about the, song, the hymnal that I was singing earlier, Make Me a Blessing. Because it's about others and not about ourselves. It's about helping others know the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and not about ourselves. I mean, it can be really summed up in what Jesus says to, the, uh, to the guy that comes and says, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And what does he say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love others as yourself. This is exactly what Jesus, or that James really comes back to and says in the response, is we are going to follow God and we are going to live biblically and we're going to love others and we're going to help others grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the worship band to come up and we're going to sing our last song together. And it's called Holy Spirit and, and I want to let you know that I... I love the idea that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we become witnesses. Do we desire the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do just this? Or are we making opinions to other people saying, no, you've got to do this to be a part of us? Are they non-biblical? Are we encouraging one another to live biblically? And are we forsaking, uh, how do I put it, are we letting some of our freedoms go so that others can come to Jesus Christ? And there's one last verse that I want to end on, and it's 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. And it says this, a servant of the Lord must not, not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those hearts. Not us. We don't have to change people's hearts. And they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. This comes out of knowing scripture, knowing Christ. And being led by the Holy Spirit. And so as we sing this song, Holy Spirit, I would just ask that, man, if you've put on undue expectations on others in this church or you've been 
sitting here with some prejudice of some people in this building by going, why? I, I don't agree with what they're doing. Or you haven't allowed people to belong here then to believe and then to allow the Holy Spirit to change them. I would ask that God would do a, a work in your heart and you would listen to the Holy Spirit this morning. Because our witness as a church is huge to our community, to those who walk through our doors, to anybody we live around. And so would you spend the time this morning just asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, but also, if you haven't been living by the Holy Spirit, to invite the Holy Spirit to continue to guide and direct. And then I'll come up and pray. And dear Heavenly Father, God, we just ask that we would be unified as a church to be your witness everywhere we go. God, we love you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.